Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% a real Jesus. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Corinne is a qualified personal trainer, a myofascial release therapist, and sports massage therapist. She's insured and registered with many professional bodies, including REPS, the Register of Exercise Professionals. Corinne has been an avid sports enthusiast all her life, taking part in a wide variety of sports, including martial arts and ice skating. Having suffered injuries from martial arts, she was forced to retire from all physical sports, but she learned rehab training, which aided her healing from her own old injuries. So welcome, Corinne. Thanks for coming. No, thank you very much for having me. Well, tell me about your work. I, I, you know, I know in your bio, you work with people that have EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and probably other hypermobility related disorders, but Tell me a little bit about your work, and I want to ask you about your background after that. Yeah, sure. So I'm currently a soft tissue therapist and personal trainer, and um, I do work with uh, clients that have EDS and HSD. So HSD is another form of connective tissue disorder, very, very similar to EDS. And same, very much the same problems, although when you come down to the nitty gritty of it, there'll be some very slight differences. So the work I do is working with uh, soft tissue. So working with the muscles, working with the myofascial layers and working just with the body in general, just to try and relieve some of the discomfort, some of the tightness in the body that people with EDS and HSD experience. Part of the... Before we we go further, what's the difference that you've noticed clinically, EDS and hypermobility spectrum disorder? Um, In all honesty, uh, when it comes to treating people, there isn't a difference at all. Uh, There's lots of different types of EDS. Uh, So uh, currently there are 13 different types. 
all bar one can be genetically tested for. And the most common, the hypermobile EDS is the one that can't be tested for. And so is HSD. The treatment for both is the same. And uh, one, one the question here. So sure. You said almost all the types of be tested, but so what happens in tests and it doesn't show up for those types, then they slotted HSD or how do people get HSD diagnosed? So um, I don't know if you're aware, there's something called the Baton score. That's uh, one of the ways that people are uh, tested for EDS, hypermobility. It's a, a scoring system uh, where patients are asked to do various things, such as if they could touch the tip of their nose with the, the tip of their tongue, and if they can put their hand into certain positions. There are various different things. Or another one, a fairly simple one that people would be able to relate to, is if you can put the palms of your hands on the floor when you stand and bend over uh, without bending your knees. There are various different exercises that patients are asked to perform and those are scored and they're scored alongside medical history so uh, things such as when you're a child were you able to do party tricks or you know there's a very strict guideline at the moment and I do know that that is under review it changed I believe in 2017 this is the new criteria so that's the one where we currently work with so what will happen is that a scoring system is in place as well as looking at medical history. And so there are some objective and subjective parts to the test. And also it will depend on the experience of the person that you're seeing. So the Baton scoring gives you a good idea. Do you spell um, Baton, by the way? B-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. Oh, geez. Okay. I'm glad I asked you. I would have, I don't know what I would have put for spelling, but okay. No, no, that's fine. So that's um, more of a standard. Who does does that testing? Is that rheumatologists or what kind of uh, medical people will do that testing? Yeah, in general, rheumatologists. um, You do have some other uh, medical professionals that are confident to do that. So depending on the country that you're in as well. So rheumatologists, I would say first and foremost, but some GPs, some physiotherapists, just depends on your experience and your training and how confident you feel to be able to perform that to help with the diagnosis. And sometimes you'll find that here in the UK, we call it allied healthcare professionals, such as physiotherapists, et cetera, um, occupational therapists, they may do the scoring and then may feel more confident referring on to a rheumatologist for confirmation of a diagnosis. So it's a good tool to have on both sides for diagnosis and also just to, if you suspect that that could be something that's possibly going on. And then once you do the beta testing, who does the genetic testing? Is it the same, like rheumatologists do it or where do people go? Yeah, I believe here in the UK, it would be rheumatology. I can't say for sure on that one, but I would believe that other doctors do have the ability to do it. I do know that there are some functional medicine doctors that actually do the genetic testing as well. But again, the the most common being the hypermobile EDS doesn't have a genetic marker as of yet. That's still being researched. Mm. They wouldn't be able to test for that one at the moment. So they might test for vascular 
or classical EDS, but they they wouldn't be able to test for the hypermobile. And what's is the, do the genetic tests have a name? Are they called something? I that I couldn't say because I'm not a geneticist, but for those that do the genetic testing, they would know, and it's quite easy to find out the exactly which tests to do. That there is a a website for the Ellis Downloads syndromes that actually does specify which genes you're looking for. Well, very good. What some of the protocols you go through with somebody, like when you first meet them, what is the evaluation like? And then what kind of things do you do with them differently? maybe on the first or second visit that other people don't do? Yeah, so um, for me, I so with EDS and HSD, the standard for most people is that they're recommended to do Pilates, swimming, very gentle exercise, but things that are beneficial and also help to stabilise joints through exercising and to build strength. And but that doesn't work for everybody. And for some people, myself included, I have tried Pilates. I have tried various different things that were recommended to me. And for myself, they they didn't make a difference. In fact, I found that they made things more painful for me. And I generally see the patients that find the Pilates side of things and the swimming side of things doesn't work for them. I'm very much gym based and that I think has advantages. I feel that people come to see me if they feel, well, actually, I want to do something different. I find Pilates doesn't work for me or I find Pilates boring or I'm not good at swimming. I don't like to be in water. They And also they want to feel more dare I use the term normal because you can actually then go into the gym do some exercise and you don't feel different from your peers you can actually go and exercise with family members friends as long as you know what you're doing you know your limitations and you work within those and you're doing things sensibly with good form so I think gym-based exercise definitely is an alternative to the norm of Pilates, swimming, etc. I do think that it has its place and it certainly helped me massively and the people that I work with, the clients that I work with, um, enjoy it. We make it fun, but we keep it within their capabilities and it helps them to strengthen, it helps them to be able to do some more everyday living activities and feel more confident it improves their proprioception, which is quite poor in lots of EDS and HSD patients. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What are the exercises you do like? How are they different from, you know, doing Pilates or that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, so so Pilates um, for some people can be slower and more, you know, very focused on a particular area such as breathing, etc. But when we're in the gym, everything that I do with my clients is tailor made. So you'll find that all EDS patients are as individual as a fingerprint, really. Some will find that one exercise will work for them and another doesn't. And that's the same whether you're doing gym-based Pilates, you're doing swimming, any of those things. And uh, when I'm in the gym with my clients, first of all, it's about building confidence and about listening to them and getting them to listen to their own bodies as well because some days they will be able to do certain exercises and other days they may need to bring that back a little bit and regress the exercise to start with and gradually build up because they may be having a flare-up or they may be in particular pain for some reason on that day or just be very fatigued they may not have had good rest or the pain may have made them quite fatigued so When I'm in the gym, I like to use equipment such as the Swiss ball, also known as a pregnancy ball, because that's very good for sitting on, for using to move as well. I like to use cable machines because they give uh, you good feedback. So you get proprioceptive feedback from that. You can also vary the weights of that. So some days you may be able to do the same exercise, but it might be that you need to reduce the weight. You might need to alter how many times you do it. So how many repetitions? It just depends on the day. And I'm very clear with the clients that I work with that you've got to listen to your body and not say, OK, well, today I feel great. So I'm going to do double what I normally do, because that could also put them into a flare. So it's it's very important that you find your baselines, that you find where you can sit comfortably and you can then increase or decrease from that point, depending on how you are feeling at the time. So, yeah, again, using the cable machines, using the pregnancy ball, sometimes using free weights as well. When I say free weights, I don't mean going into the gym and taking a a massive barbell and, and bringing it above your head and, you know, like a trying to do power lifting it could be as simple as using a half kilo or a kilo dumbbell and doing some very gentle exercises with that sometimes we would look at doing some uh, frontal raises just to try and help with stability of the shoulders and to build up the smaller muscles other times we may look at other side of things such as cardio and what people are able to do some Clients are able to sit on a bike and pedal and do, get some cardio that way. Other clients who also suffer with other comorbidities such as POTS, so postural orthostatic tachycardia, may need to start to build their exercises from laying down flat so that they don't feel dizzy or unwell whilst they are exercising and gradually build up to being able to sit up to do exercises before they can stand. Or some may just want to, you know, stay at seated exercises. All of those are absolutely great as long as you are moving. So there's lots of different ways to exercise. And it's about finding what works for that person. 
and also about making it fun. And balance is another huge thing when it comes to EDS and HSD patients because proprioception is slightly off, more so in some than others. And therefore, there's a a tendency to be more clumsy and walk into things or lose your balance, Mm. not see things. I've done it myself. I've walked into walls. I've I've bashed my nose on walls and, you know, just picking something up. Um, So the the issue is real. And there are lots of different ways to make it fun. But to... Well, one, one, one question here. Yeah. If you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. I know there's like a Japanese art of following called Yukemi. I don't know if that's too aggressive for EDS people, but do you, do you teach them like balance, um, you know, getting up from the floor, falling, you know, in a way that doesn't hurt themselves? Are those useful skills or is that too advanced? I haven't used those myself. I, I used to be a martial artist and I learned that myself. However, if those techniques are similar to what I learned in martial arts, I would be quite wary. I can't comment fully because I, I haven't seen it, but if it's a, a, a form of martial arts, I would be wary because there's still impact. And depending on the person, that could impact and dislocate or subluxate a shoulder or a hip. So I think that would have to be very individual. And if a patient or client found that they were having lots of falls, I think the first thing would be to identify why and what's causing that. For example, is it POTS and what can be done as a preventative prior to, you know. What is POTS again? What's the acronym? POTS is postural orthostatic tachycardia. So that's where you, in very simple terms, you would go from lying down to sitting up or lying down to standing or sitting to standing. And your heart rate increases substantially, which makes you, which is where the tachycardia side of things comes in. So your heart beats very, very fast. And the blood that you have in your body sometimes will pull into your legs or your feet. So it doesn't come up to your head quick enough and it can make you feel faint. And in some cases, it can make you pass out. So it's about when you're talking about POTS, it's, a, it's about making sure that you're sitting up slowly, allowing your body to regulate itself before you then start to try and stand up, taking on fluids to try and make sure that that's happening as well. There's lots of thoughts on whether electrolytes help with this, but different things are recommended. I mean, I I know that that is very much recommended, but um, there's lots of research still going on to do with POTS. Okay. Um, Um, And then in your, um, when you work with people and you help them exercise, how do you know that it's working well versus something's gone wrong? Is it subtle or is it obvious? No, it's very obvious. And EDS and HSD patients are very, very good at telling you what is happening. And they've had to be. If you look at the journey an EDS or an HSD patient goes through, it's generally many, many years before they're diagnosed. And before they get to that point, many are told that the symptoms they're experiencing are psychological. They're in their head. They're they're not real, which is very frustrating. You know, on a 
if you look at every cloud has a silver lining, it builds some resilience and you find your voice and you'll find that if something isn't right or doesn't feel right, I would say the majority of EDS and HSD patients will say, which is fantastic. And I think it's a very positive thing because you get to know your own body so well. And the sad thing is that not all medical professionals will listen to that. You do know your body better than anybody else. And you've got to listen to that. And I'm a great believer that you need to advocate for that. And people need to listen because unfortunately, you know, you hear of various other medical conditions where people do keep going back to the doctor and they're told, no, no, it's in your head. There's nothing wrong. And it's only when it's too late that something then is discovered. And you'll find that most EDS and HSD patients don't go to the doctor and say, oh, I think I have this. They'll say, I've got this symptom and that symptom and this is happening and that's happening. And the area is so poorly researched at the moment and so little is known in comparison to all the other medical conditions that are out there that many doctors don't know about it, have never heard of it. And those that do know of it, some of them disregard it and say that they don't believe in it. There are very few, unfortunately, that actually do say, okay, fine, let's look into that. And where there's so little known about it, unfortunately, a lot of the doctors don't join the dots and say, oh, you have this issue and that issue and that one and that one. Oh, maybe they all are related in some way. Maybe this is a bigger picture, which is exactly what really is needed. How do people find their way to you? You know, like what's, what kind of stories have you heard from your clients? What started happening yeah. in their lives that made them suspicious? And then how did it progress till they finally figured it out? So some of them come to me because they say, well, look, you know, where do I go? What else can I do? The hospital said, right, great. There you go. There's your diagnosis. Uh, there's nothing more we can do for you. Others say, you know, the waiting lists are huge, but I need help now. What can I do? Others say, well, look, I'm in pain. Nothing is working. I don't like Pilates. It hasn't worked for me. I've tried all of these things and that's not working. What can you do to help? Because a lot of people feel that they're not listened to and that they're not given the time. You have to be very lucky with the doctors from GPs all the way through to consultants to find the right consultants. Um, I've been through a fair few myself who disregarded and wouldn't help through to um, I've been lucky enough to find an amazing consultant at the moment. And um, she actually does listen and does try to help. But prior to that, you know, I've had to fight and fight and fight. And I didn't give up. However, I, I did seek help elsewhere. Like people come to me. I went to others as well before I was in this position and said, well, look, what can you do to help me? I'm not being given any help. I don't know where to go. I'm in terrible pain. It's affecting my life, you know, hugely. I can't work normally. I, you know, what can I do? And I was lucky enough to find some things that helped me. And that was where I decided I wanted to help others. And so through that, the people that tend to come to me are those that have been in a similar situation where they're thinking, well, where do I go? What do I do? I need some help with this. It's an alternative. There are 
many things to try. So you do have some people do go and try medication, although we know that there isn't a specific that helps. You may find some people are helped by medication, some are not. Some react because of uh, various other comorbidities, such as mast cell activation syndrome, uh, gastroparesis, all sorts of other comorbidities that come into this. And so that sometimes can cause more issues. And then you have others that say, well, look, I, I want to live my life as normally as I can. I don't want to take medications. I want to exercise, but I want to do other exercise because I, I want to do something that makes me feel good, like I'm doing something that I'm interested in. And that's where I am. I did the same. I tried the things that were recommended initially, such as the Pilates, but that wasn't me. I came from a martial arts background and I found that Pilates was quite slow for me. It, I didn't see the results. I didn't feel that. And um, I tried many different types. I was even asked to leave a Pilates class at one point because the teacher just said, well, there's nothing I can do for you. Can you leave? Um, what a shame. Yeah, so it, it just sounds horrible. Yeah, it sounds like EDS and hypermobility. It's like a long gaslit road of years mm. and years of frustration until people get to uh, you know, a way to help themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. Once you find that diagnosis, it's a real amazing thing because it's very bittersweet. It's amazing that finally you're heard, you're given an explanation for the issues that you've been having for however long that you've experienced the symptoms some people experience the symptoms from birth others experience them slightly later in life or have some symptoms and don't know what they are until later in life and there's the bitter side of it well there's your diagnosis there's no cure there's no treatment there's ways to manage it to a point but that's it and so that's quite bittersweet really when you're told that and I think that some of the most humbling people that I have met are other EDS and HSD sufferers because they know that this is a lifelong condition and they have come to terms with it to a point and realised that the management of it is crucial and they're trying so hard to help themselves that they will look into as many avenues as possible until they find a good fit for them. And does it mitigate any of the symptoms of, of EDS or hypermobility? Or like what does it do besides get them in shape? Well, the exercises that we do actually do help to strengthen the body and help to target more of the issues that they're having. So if we have shoulder issues, looking at stability and reducing the issues that they're having. And it does generally do that. It will allow hopefully more movement. We've seen that and more, uh, more pain-free or reduced pain in certain movements and certain activities. Nobody's under any illusion that it's going to take uh, all of the pain and and all of the issues away because we we know that that's not likely but it allows you to function a little better and be able to you know some people their goal will be I want to be able to lift a can 
so that I can make something to eat or others will be, well, I just want to be able to go for a, a short walk and not feel that my hips are in terrible pain or, and, and these are things that we work on and they do work all the way through to talking about orthotics in shoes. That makes a massive difference for lots of clients using tape So using uh, kinesiology tape make a massive difference. But the kinesiology tape is not what I would call a long-term fix. It's temporary. And I use that with my clients at times to help them through a flare. Or if something is particularly causing them issues, we will use it temporarily until they are feeling better and the stability is come back a little bit more mm. or the flare has died down. We use them as coping mechanisms and for just to help somebody get through a phase or, or the issues that they may be having so that they can continue on their journey. But with every journey, you will have some setbacks, you will move forwards and you will, it's a step forward, step back situation, but that's true of any medical condition or even if you injure yourself and you're you're doing rehab it's never a a linear progression you will always have some slight setbacks whether they're related or not so it's about how you manage these things and work through and what techniques you bring in to help and support and help the progression and help recovery from flares your older clients whether they've been doing this for years with you or not how do they fare? Yeah, I, I think clients of all ages, again, it's very individual, but it depends. Some clients may stiffen up a little bit as they get older, although they may still be hypermobile. And it's about making sure that as well as looking after stability and the issues that they're having or have had for many years, You need to factor in the processes that occur with ageing because with ageing, you do balance changes as well. Your proprioception can change. So it can make these situations slightly more complex, but it's about managing those. And as long as you keep on top of that, which is true for anybody in the ageing population, it's about keeping them safe and about keeping them able to be doing the things that they enjoy as best you can. So I think working with aging um, EDS and HSD patients or clients is not massively dissimilar to working with those that are younger. And when I say younger, I'm talking about those in their twenties, thirties, forties, children is obviously slightly different because they're still developing, but when you're looking at how people function in their 20s and 30s, I personally haven't seen a, a huge, massive difference in those that are older because they still have lots of the same problems because they are still hypermobile. Not everybody stiffens up. No, but that's good, though, because, you know, if, if you worked with older people and they were all a mess, no matter what they did, then that would be that would bode ill for people that have this that aren't older yet, you know. But if you're saying that your older clients are still able to go and do and function and the exercise still works for them, that's good news. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, aging affects everybody in different ways, but people do age. And and as long as you 
take that into account with their exercise and with their programs and with their capabilities you know you wouldn't say to you know even somebody who doesn't have eds unless a person has been an athlete all their life you wouldn't say to an 80 year old right i'm going to prepare you for a marathon um so i think it's similar with um you know eds you're you've got to look at the capabilities what their goals are and where they want to be and you need to work with them to help them achieve the best outcomes that they can with with what they're able to do and just to try and keep on top of that well very good well corinne where can people go if they're in the uk to find you and if they're not in the uk where can they go to get help so um here in the uk i have my own uh business where I see clients and they can contact me via my Facebook page which is uh, fitness with Corinne I'm also on Instagram gain fitness underscore with underscore Corinne I also have a website which is uh, fitness with Corinne they they all all come to that if that was typed into one of the search engines um, that should be able to be found quite easily I do have some information about EDS on my website as well Um, I also have a link here um, on the website to the EDS society which I know is worldwide and hopefully there are some links on there that would help EDS and HSD uh, patients worldwide because there's a directory on there that does specify different countries, doctors and physiotherapists and all sorts of medical professionals that can help, you know, in general uh, all over. And what I would encourage people to do is to go onto Facebook because there are lots of support groups on Facebook and Reddit and Um, Instagram of some of the organizations that can help and also fellow EDS and HSD patients they do blogs and can and talk about the um, issues that they've had and there's lots of discussion pages on there as well where you can share your experiences you can ask your questions so I definitely encourage anybody with EDS or HSD any of the types to Go and have a look. Don't feel alone. There's there's lots of uh, help out there. You know, even if it is just talking to people, it doesn't have to be uh, physical help. It doesn't have to be medical help. Just look for the organisations that are local to you, and you know, do some googling and see if there are any support groups locally. I know here in the UK there are lots of different support groups. There's a couple of organisations uh here then as i say they they do have uh worldwide links so yeah please don't be alone don't feel alone don't feel that you've exhausted all options keep talking to people i know because i attend meeting every month once a month we have a, a meeting where lots of professionals that work with eds and hsd patients get together everybody's from all over the world from new zealand america Australia, Germany, there is help everywhere, but it's just finding the right people. But I would suggest that if you really want to find 
a specific medical professional. If you go onto the Ellers Downloads Society website, there are lots of links and lots of help there where you can find um, some professionals, hopefully locally to you. If you can't find somebody that's local to you, I would consider emailing somebody on the list that's there to see if they know of anybody, because even though somebody may not be on the list, it might be that um, there is somebody somewhere, but it's just that it's not been put on the list yet or, you know, for, for whatever reason. But, you know, do ask the question because I'm sure that there is somebody that's local to you or within the same country, at least, that would be able to help. But yes, okay. please Very do. Good. Well, Corinne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. An unusual subject that people haven't heard of until they, they have to deal with it. But thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for, for listening and uh, thank you for having me. It's been great and uh, I hope it does help um, some people out there. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.